Section fifty eight of Montcalm and Wolfe by Francis Parkman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty six, part one, seventeen fifty nine. Amherst, Niagara. Pitt had directed that while Quebec was attacked, an attempt should be made to penetrate into Canada by way of Ticonderoga and Crown Point. Thus the two armies might unite in the heart of the colony, or at least a powerful diversion might be effected in behalf of Wolfe. At the same time, Oswego was to be re-established, and the possession of Fort Duquesne, or Pittsburgh, secured by reinforcements and supplies, while Amherst, the commander-in-chief, was further directed to pursue any other enterprise which, in his opinion, would weaken the enemy without detriment to the main objects of the campaign. He accordingly resolved to attempt the capture of Niagara. Brigadier Prideaux was charged with this stroke. Brigadier Stanwix was sent to conduct the operations for the relief of Pittsburgh, and Amherst himself prepared to lead the grand central advance against Ticonderoga, Crown Point, and Montreal. Towards the end of June he reached that valley by the head of Lake George, which for five years past had been the annual mustering place of armies. Here were now gathered about eleven thousand men, half regulars and half provincials, drilling every day, firing by platoons, firing at marks, practicing maneuvers in the woods, going out on scouting parties, bathing parties, fishing parties, gathering wild herbs to serve for greens, cutting brushwood and meadow hay to make hospital beds. The sick were ordered on certain mornings to repair to the surgeon's tent, there in prompt succession to swallow such doses as he thought appropriate to their several ailments and it was further ordered that every fair day that they can walk be paraded together and marched down to the lake to wash their hands and faces court-martials were numerous culprits were flogged at the head of each regiment in turn and occasionally one was shot a frequent employment was the cutting of spruce tops to make spruce beer. This innocent beverage was reputed sovereign against scurvy, and such was the fame of its virtues that a copious supply of the West Indian molasses used in concocting it was thought indispensable to every army or garrison in the wilderness. Throughout this campaign it is repeatedly mentioned in general orders, and the soldiers are promised that they shall have as much of it as they want at a halfpenny a quart. The rear of the army was well protected from insult. Fortified posts were built at intervals of three or four miles along the road to Fort Edward, and especially at the station called Halfway Brook while for the whole distance a broad belt of wood on both sides was cut down and burned 
to deprive a skulking enemy of cover amherst was never long in one place without building a fort there he now began one which proved wholly needless on that flat rocky hill where the english made their entrenched camp during the siege of fort william henry only one bastion of it was ever finished and this is still shown to tourists under the name of fort george the army embarked on saturday the twenty first of july the reverend benjamin pomeroy watched their departure in some concern and wrote on monday to abigail his wife i could wish for more appearance of dependence on god than was observable among them yet i hope god will grant deliverance unto israel by them there was another military pageant another long procession of boats and banners among the mountains and islands of lake george night found them near the outlet and here they lay till morning tossed unpleasantly on waves ruffled by a summer gale at daylight they landed beat back a french detachment and marched by the portage road to the sawmill at the waterfall there was little resistance they occupied the heights and then advanced to the famous line of entrenchment against which the army of abercrombie had hurled itself in vain these works had been completely reconstructed partly of earth and partly of logs amherst's followers were less numerous than those of his predecessor while the french commander bourlamaque had a force nearly equal to that of montcalm in the summer before yet he made no attempt to defend the entrenchment and the english encamping along its front found it an excellent shelter from the cannon of the fort beyond amherst brought up his artillery and began approaches in front when on the night of the twenty-third it was found that bourlamaque had retired down lake champlain leaving four hundred men under hebecourt to defend the place as long as possible this was in obedience to an order from vaudreuil requiring him on the approach of the english to abandon both ticonderoga and crown point retreat to the outlet of lake champlain take post at isle aux noirs and there defend himself to the last extremity a course unquestionably the best that could have been taken since obstinacy in holding ticonderoga might have involved the surrender of bourlamaque's whole force while isle aux noirs offered rare advantages for defence the fort fired briskly a cannon-shot killed colonel townsend and a few soldiers were killed and wounded by grape and bursting shells when at dusk on the evening of the twenty sixth an unusual movement was seen among the garrison and about ten o'clock three deserters came in great excitement to the english camp they reported that hebecourt and his soldiers were escaping in their boats and that a match was burning in the magazine to blow ticonderoga to atoms amherst offered a hundred guineas to any one of them who would point out the match that it might be cut but they shrank from the perilous venture 
all was silent till eleven o'clock when a broad fierce glare burst on the night and a roaring explosion shook the promontory then came a few breathless moments and then the fragments of fort ticonderoga fell with clatter and splash on the water and the land it was but one bastion however that had been thus hurled skyward the rest of the fort was little hurt though the barracks and other combustible parts were set on fire and by the light the french flag was seen still waving on the rampart a sergeant of the light infantry braving the risk of other explosions went and brought it off thus did this redoubted stronghold of france fall at last into english hands as in all likelihood it would have done a year sooner if amherst had commanded in abercrombie's place for with the deliberation that marked all his proceedings he would have sat down before montcalm's wooden wall and knocked it to splinters with his cannon he now set about repairing the damaged works and making ready to advance on crown point when on the first of august his scouts told him that the enemy had abandoned this place also and retreated northward down the lake well pleased he took possession of the deserted fort and in the animation of success thought for a moment of keeping the promise he had made to pitt to make an eruption into canada with the utmost vigour and dispatch wolfe his brother-in-arms and his friend was battling with the impossible under the rocks of quebec and every motive public and private impelled amherst to push to his relief not counting costs or balancing risks too nicely he was ready enough to spur on others for he wrote to gage we must all be alert and active day and night if we all do our parts the french must fall but far from doing his he set the army to building a new fort at crown point telling them that it would give plenty peace and quiet to his majesty's subjects for ages to come then he began three small additional forts as outworks to the first sent two parties to explore the sources of the hudson one party to explore otter creek another to explore south bay which was already well known another to make a road across what is now the state of vermont from crown point to charlestown or number four on the connecticut and another to widen and improve the old french road between crown point and ticonderoga his industry was untiring a great deal of useful work was done but the essential task of making a diversion to aid the army of wolfe was needlessly postponed it is true that some delay was inevitable the french had four armed vessels on the lake and this made it necessary to provide an equal or superior force to protect the troops on their way to isle aux noix captain loring the english naval commander was therefore ordered to build a brigantine and this being thought insufficient he was directed to add a kind of floating battery moved by sweeps 
three weeks later in consequence of farther information concerning the force of french vessels amherst ordered an armed sloop to be put on the stocks and this involved a long delay the sawmill at ticonderoga was to furnish planks for the intended navy but being overtasked in sawing timber from the new works at crown point it was continually breaking down hence much time was lost and autumn was well advanced before loring could launch his vessels meanwhile news had come from prideaux and the niagara expedition that officer had been ordered to ascend the mohawk with five thousand regulars and provincials leave a strong garrison at fort stanwix on the great carrying place establish posts at both ends of lake oneida descend the onondaga to oswego leave nearly half his force there under colonel haldimand and proceed with the rest to attack niagara these orders he accomplished hardimand remained to reoccupy that spot that montcalm had made desolate three years before and while preparing to build a fort he barricaded his camp with pork and flour barrels lest the enemy should make a dash upon him from their station at the head of the st lawrence rapids such an attack was probable for if the french could seize oswego the return of prideaux from niagara would be cut off and when his small stock of provisions had failed he would be reduced to extremity st luc de la corne left the head of the rapids early in july with a thousand french and canadians and a body of indians who soon made their appearance among the stumps and bushes that surrounded the camp at oswego the priest piquet was of the party and five deserters declared that he solemnly blessed them and told them to give the english no quarter some valuable time was lost in bestowing the benediction yet haldeman's men were taken by surprise many of them were dispersed in the woods cutting timber for the intended fort and it might have gone hard with them had not some of la corne's canadians become alarmed and rushed back to their boats oversetting father piquet on the way these being rallied the whole party ensconced itself in a tract of felled trees so far from the english that their fire did little harm they continued it about two hours and resumed it the next morning when three cannon being brought to bear on them they took to their boats and disappeared having lost about thirty killed and wounded including two officers and la corne himself who were shot in the thigh the english loss was slight prideaux safely reached niagara and laid siege to it it was a strong fort lately rebuilt in regular form by an excellent officer captain pouchot of the battalion of bayarn who commanded it it stood where the present fort stands in the angle formed by the junction of the river niagara with lake ontario and was held by about six hundred men well supplied with provisions and munitions of war higher up the river a mile and a half above the cataract there was another fort called little niagara built of wood and commanded by the half-breed officer 
Jonquer Chabert, who, with his brother Jonquer Clauson, and a numerous clan of Indian relatives, had so long thwarted the efforts of Johnson to engage the five nations in the English cause. But recent English successes had had their effect. Jonquer's influence was waning, and Johnson was now in Prideaux's camp with nine hundred Five Nation warriors pledged to fight the French. Jonquer, finding his fort untenable, burned it, and came with his garrison and his Indian friends to reinforce Niagara. Pouchot had another resource on which he confidently relied. In obedience to an order from Vaudreuil, the French population of the Illinois, Detroit, and other distant posts, joined with troops of western Indians, had come down the lakes to recover Pittsburgh, undo the work of Forbes, and restore French ascendancy on the Ohio. Pittsburgh had been in imminent danger, nor was it yet safe, though General Stanwix was sparing no effort to succor it. These mixed bands of white men and red, bushrangers and savages, were now gathered partly at Leboeuf and Venango, but partly at Precaille, under command of Aubry, Ligneris, Marin, and other partisan chiefs, the best in Canada. No sooner did Pouchot learn that the English were coming to attack him than he sent a messenger to summon them all to his aid. The siege was begun in form, though the English engineers were so incompetent that the trenches, as first laid out, were scoured by the fire of the place, and had to be made anew. At last the batteries opened fire. A shell from a cohorn burst prematurely just as it left the mouth of the piece, and a fragment striking Prideaux on the head killed him instantly. Johnson took command in his place, and made up in energy what he lacked in skill. In two or three weeks the fort was in extremity, the rampart was breached, more than a hundred of the garrison were killed or disabled, and the rest were exhausted with want of sleep. Pouchot watched anxiously for the promised succors, and on the morning of the 24th of July a distant firing told him that they were at hand. Aubrey and Ligneris, with their motley following, had left Presqu'Isle a few days before, to the number, according to Vaudreuil, of eleven hundred French and two hundred Indians. Among them was a body of colony troops, but the Frenchmen of the party were chiefly traders and bushrangers from the west, connecting links between civilization and savagery. Some of them, indeed, were mere white Indians, imbued with the ideas and morals of the wigwam wearing hunting shirts of smoked deerskin embroidered with quills of the canadian porcupine painting their faces black and red tying eagle feathers in their long hair or plastering it on their temples with a compound of vermilion and glue they were excellent woodsmen skilful hunters and perhaps the best bushfighters in all canada when pouchot heard the firing he went with a wounded artillery officer to the bastion next the river, and as the forest had been cut away for a great distance, 
they could see more than a mile and a half along the shore there by glimpses among trees and bushes they descried bodies of men now advancing and now retreating indians in rapid movement and the smoke of guns the sound of which reached their ears in heavy volleys or a sharp and angry rattle meanwhile the english cannon had seized their fire and the silent trenches seemed deserted as if their occupants were gone to meet the advancing foe there was a call in the fort for volunteers to sally and destroy the works but no sooner did they show themselves along the covered way than the seemingly abandoned trenches were thronged with men and bayonets and the attempt was given up the distant firing lasted half an hour then ceased and pouchot remained in suspense till at two in the afternoon a friendly onondaga who had passed unnoticed through the english lines came to him with the announcement that the french and their allies had been routed and cut to pieces pouchot would not believe him End of section fifty eight